0: Every day we hoistle in at Pilots and Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Pilots and Pitards Podcast. This is the podcast with nothing much to do about aircrafts and potentially everything to do with first episodes of a filmic series.
0: Our disclaimer, "Petard" is a word. It is a real word. And petards are bombs.
1: We will be tackling mostly new series each Monday with the occasional throwback pilot. Listeners, you're invited to follow our blog and participate in our pre-recording discussions. Our episodes will now be broken into four parts.
0: The first part will be spoiler-free, and we're going to talk about the quality of the pilot.
1: Part two is going to be more of an in-depth look at the pilot. Hella spoilers. Yeah, heavy spoiler. A lot of spoilage there. It's a word.
0: And part three, we will wander outside of the pilot to any dangling threads of interest.
1: And then part four is our fun part. You know, a lot of a lot of craziness going on in Part Four. You gotta you gotta tune in to find out. Today though, we might play an audio recording from a previous recording of a Part Four. But you know what? That's ruining it.
0: Yes, this is our our second attempt at recording today's episode. It should be better. Yeah,
1: hopefully. This is Drew. I'm the Pragmatic Cyclops of this
0: podcast. And I'm Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming existentialist pilot critic, and Kenny of the podcast,
1: Mister High Low. Mr. High Low in the
0: house. Mr. High Low, now just what I needed—more descriptions. And unfortunately, Hoister's the motherfucking magical Miss Mo, master of pilots, nobos, and spoilers, is out this week. She will be back next week. Uh, we'd like to
1: thank today's sponsor of today's show, and that's women. Thanks, women. You can thank them for the ad-free listening, unless you're in some he-man woman-hating cult. Thank any woman in your life for today's ad-free listening. Go out and do it. And just once again, here's a fuck you to Crooked Media. For your crooked, shitty ads. So, if you want to contact us to sponsor a show or to slander a rival, you know, we're more than willing to do that for financial compensation. What are we watching today, Jimbo?
0: So, join us today as we cast judgment and determine if the Stephen King horror verse Castle Rock will be hoisted or not hoisted. That is the question.
1: Part one. Where we're going to talk just a little bit about the pilot, but no spoilers. So Jimbo, what's your your background on this pilot?
0: When we originally recorded this, this was a couple days after the premiere on Hulu. So none of us had any, any background. I would like to add a little bit of background just in general. So Castle Rock is a fictional city created by Stephen King. It is in several of his stories and books, the first being The Dead Zone. And supposedly Stephen King hasn't hasn't officially said this, but he's referenced how much the ending of Lord of the Flies has influenced him. And at the ending of Lord of the Flies, they reference Castle Rock. So it's very likely that Uh, Castle Rock is a throwback to Lord of the Flies as well and how much that book has impacted Stephen King.
1: So my background with the show is a bunch of Hulu commercials, you know, record cutters over here. Knew of it, but not too much about it. Uh, Jimbo, you going to hit us with that two-sentence summary?
0: Sure am. So shit hit the fan in Castle Rock after the Shawshank prison warden decapitated himself, and the kid is found in the prison's basement. Henry Deaver, a criminal defense attorney in Dallas, Texas, heads home to Castle Rock to take the case. Stay tuned to find out if you should give a steaming pile of crap.
1: Yeah. All right. And so uh, the first part of our show is going to be some show notes. Some high points, some low points, some in between, just whatever we feel like talking about. So, uh, Jimbo, you wanna start high, you wanna start low? You got that habit of going up and down. What do you want to do?
0: Let's start high. I felt that this pilot episode had the a perfect amount of intriguing questions left unanswered.
1: I would definitely agree. I think that it's a really nice blend and a really nice mix of what Stephen King does best, which is taking like human intrigue, you know, and then adding just a little touch or a little spice of maybe supernatural but in in most good works of fiction you know people quote unquote like people are the real monsters like that idea i think this series does a really good job of like um threading that needle that stephen king himself does so well so i would say that jimbo i think there's a good amount of mysterious questions mixed in with just good intrigue about characters that we do want to care about what do you think was more mysterious like the questions about the people or the questions about like anything kind of weird happening
0: I think a lot a lot of viewers are gonna like the questions about maybe how fantastical this this world is but me i'm way more concerned and interested in the people's questions i might just disagree
1: with you because while part of my high point does revolve around the people in the story like i geeked out for some certain moments in this in this pilot and they were king and this show really makes you wait and really whets your appetite for something that's out there there's so many not scares. There's so many like false jumps that when they do feed you something kind of worth eating, it's awesome. So I am definitely intrigued by the the human interaction, but I'm also very intrigued by the mysterious parts of this story.
0: And I would like to come back to this in part two as well. All right. I uh, will just add that I was a bit skeptical because J.J. Abrams, I feel like in The Force Awakens, he may have set the record for unanswered questions in one movie. I mean, he just went super overboard, and I'm glad to see that that someone put him in check in this pilot episode. What are three unanswered
1: questions you saw in Force Awakens, Jimbo?
0: Who is Rey? Okay. What the hell is going on in the galaxy? That's Where is that's Luke broad. Skywalker? No, okay. We have we have no idea the context between the New Order and the Rebels. We have no. I mean, I mean, the whole movie is just an unanswered question.
1: I, I feel like the prequels are the opposite of like way too much information, and I am fine being on the other end of the spectrum with a lot of questions instead of a lot of minutiae and answers.
0: Ryan Johnson completely pretty much shits on all his unanswered questions throughout The, the Last Jedi.
1: Jimbo, I'm going to add Metachlorian Counter to your title amongst your other adjectives.
0: <laughs> what?
1: Proud Metachlorian Counter. No, okay.
0: that is stupid.
1: When Moe's not here, it gets to Star Wars real fast. There's no one to rein us in.
0: Alright, I'll, I'll cut most of that. What? Why? It's gold. Last time, Moe did reference the cinematography being really beautiful and creepy.
1: I'll jump into this one, because I, I would agree to an extent with Moe on this. There's a really, really cool tracking shot um, when our protagonist arrives back in his old hometown where the camera stays on him and then follows him as he turns almost like more than 180 degrees. So it's a really smooth move that puts us in his shoes. So I think the cinematography is awesome there. I do want to push back, though, on this one. Mo, allow me if you would, somewhere in L.A. Um, Too many overhead shots. It's overdoing it. Like, we all know that second unit directors have drones now. To me, they're just less impressive. I could have done with, you know, 50% less overhead obvious drone shots what do you think Jimbo add more drone shots or less
0: I think it was an acceptable amount of drone shots it it didn't stand out to me I wasn't keeping track it so to me it was not overdone I will add that there were a lot of really nice landscape shots as well were the drone shots all landscape shots
1: no like most of the drones were um these shots of like the buildings and like the Dallas. town yeah just like going over it and I was like I get it I understand Hulu. Like, this didn't need to be, like, 44 minutes. It could have been at 42 minutes.
0: It would have been fine. I really don't think the drone shots took took away from the pilot, though.
1: Eh, it's something I'm starting to notice now in TV shows. It did shows. for someone. All right, well, you
0: know, it's, it's my low point, Jimbo. Well, I can also jump into a low point from here as well. All right. I have to represent the fine people of Dallas, Texas. I mean, this show really takes a shit on Dallas, Texas, and I'm not sure why, and... I would be extremely shocked if that ties back into anything whatsoever for the series.
1: I'll say this. They definitely got real stereotypical about Texas. and Like, they didn't need to say Dallas either. Like, he could have been, like, Dallas is full of podunk places. Like, he could have been from any old podunk spot in Texas, but they were like, Dallas isn't Texas. I went to a training in Dallas. Like it's all huge buildings and no one living downtown or having anything down there because it's all just giant business buildings.
0: Like I drove through Dallas twice and it's like the never-ending city, dude. You're like yeah. driving through Dallas for like a half an hour.
1: I know where are these dusty tumbleweeds in like the universe of Castle Rock, where this guy's in Dallas and it's just all like hellscape, landscape and dusted writhing across you know the roads and whatnot. Dallas sucks. Like I don't like it, but <laughs> They definitely didn't, like, even give it a shot. They were like, this is Texas. I guess it's kind of like when they, like, show, like, Scotland or Ireland and all they show is, like, some rolling hills. I'm Like, there's more to those places than just that. I'm with you on that one. Can we jump to a high point ahead, Jimbo? Yeah, jump. This is a hard thing to put your finger on, but I think there was kind of quality acting across the board. Um, lots of people had their defined roles. Uh, it wasn't as predictable as you might think, like, a horror genre or a prison show would be. I agree. I think that there was, like, really cool choices being made by the actors, especially in terms of vulnerability. Um, Male vulnerability is kind of hard, you know, for for men in general, but also just to express while still remaining sympathetic. And so there was a lot of, like, doubt and a lot of um, self-doubt shown by the male characters. But I think they did it in, like, a really cool way that kept your sympathy with those characters and also kept them, like, strong. What did you think about the male characters and the way they emoted in the show, Jimbo?
0: Well, just kind of to you know to piggyback back, I think the writing was was decent as far as the dialogue we've We've definitely discussed before when you have really shitty dialogue like the actors don't really have a lot to work with. Can you give an example without spoiling uh sure i
1: I particularly think that um the prison guard, you know the one who kind of sets everything in motion um even though he represents like a certain archetype or stereotype um he still has like uh, a really sensitive moral core, and I I do think Jimbo that I want to come back to your comment about like the script because to me this was kind of a sparse pilot in terms of dialogue. There's there's definitely dialogue there, but like you know more than anything, a lot of these actors are making nonverbal choices with their acting,
0: and there's a lot of silence, a lot of silent scenes. which I was going to say too, do you think this is a horror genre? Because I would say it's more maybe mystery thriller might even d- go into sci-fi, but I didn't really think of it as, as a horror until maybe the last scene.
1: I would say this. I would say if this is a ten episode series and we want to think about it as horror, um we're certainly not gonna get the biggest scares in the first hour. To view this as like a horror concept, we would have to view it as a whole. Ring is scary in the first ten minutes. Um that's a great movie. I should put it in dar, But uh I think I would classify it as Horror, based on what you said, like those scares that came in like the last you know eighth of the episode, and I also think they're planting enough seeds to to get this to a horror place.
0: Maybe we'll find out. Jimbo, uh, any more highs lows, Mister High Low? Another low was there's there's a scene in Dallas that takes place on death row, and it's just way too long. Particularly the the second part of the death row scene is just unnecessary. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying is I think we're in Dallas too long and most of that stuff is not going to tie back to the rest of the series. I I think what I think what we were supposed to get away from the attorney not being at home, we could have gotten in half the time and been just as effective. I would
1: agree with you there's there's a bit of a tonal disconnect, you know, like we really could have gotten to the point of seeing Henry the lawyer in a couple different ways. And you're right, like it took time, and I don't think it necessarily like added to the character. You know, there's a thing that we talk about that I talk about with my colleagues um, about like teaching and test taking and making tests. Like it's got to be relevant. That's half of it, like rigorous and relevant. And when I say relevant, I mean like, is the thing that we're teaching going to matter later? I don't necessarily think that that death scene in Texas is going to matter later. And I don't think it adds that much to the character no, that we're learning.
0: No, it definitely doesn't. It adds so nothing. So say
1: it's not relevant. You know, let's edit it down. I agree with you, man. I'm with you.
0: I have one more high to toss out there. Do you? Do you have any, anything no, else? No, tell me this high. This is one that uh, Mo thought was a high, and there are a ton of allusions to Stephen King work. I mean, the, you know, the blaring one is Shawshank Redemption. is is kind of all over the place in this pilot, and I think a lot of viewers are really gonna like that. And then there's some other subtle ones as well.
1: There are subtle references, and there are not subtle references too. You know, I
0: enjoy both. Like
1: sometimes I like to be pandered to, and sometimes I like to be led somewhere. So I thought that yeah, the subtle allusions to other Stephen King works were would work for like you know the the subreddit crowd and the the really big you know King heads. And then there was other stuff where like regular people, kind of like me, were just like, oh, like that was a pretty direct reference to The Shawshank Redemption. And I think those allusions also do two things. You know, like they're they're fan service. You know, they make people feel cool for being invested in like this subculture, but also they, um, they ground you in this universe, you know, like they're not doing it as a goof. They're not doing it as like a wink to the camera. They're like, this is that Shawshank. So I, yeah, I would, I would agree with Mo in that the Easter eggs as they're, they're called nowadays, um, were both enjoyable and also move the plot along too. Easter eggs don't always do that.
0: This one definitely does that in, and let's maybe come back to the world building a bit as well in uh in part two. All right, well, that's cool. Down for that. So now, Hoysters, we are going to move into our MVP. And for any new listeners, this is the most valuable part of the pilot. Well, I'll talk a
1: little bit. And Jimbo, you alluded to this, but um, I really liked the ending um of this uh pilot. Yeah, the the show had set us up in a certain way. Nothing had exactly flirted with like supernatural stuff going on and then the ending does a really nice job of both wetting your appetite for like something strange and interesting happening as well as using some very cool kind of classic horror tropes to give you that that scare that you kind of expected um i i am not a fan of like what i like to call horror porn or like you know torture porn where like in the saw movies someone falls and like a you know a whole hypodermic needle's that's not scary, that's just disgusting and disturbing the fun- The finale of this pilot is scary, and I think it does does achieve this you know fear from us through tension and through intentional filmmaking. So I love the ending. What did you think, Jimbo?
0: Yeah, I have to agree that's the last scene is also my mVP It's the perfect use of a cliffhanger. It is by far the most the most climatic part of this pilot. Whereas, like, if we take a look at Breaking Bad, where the climax, they poke into the climax at the very beginning and then they end with it, which, you know, we we said, I guess, was mostly effective. But this one, I think it's a lot better use of storytelling and not maybe relying on, like, maybe a cheap trick to get the audience in, into the show. You know, it's
1: almost a, like This Is Us-esque twist for the audience, you know, where, like, something that we have assumed to be true – or something that we had it for granted, is just tweaked. And it alters our entire perception of the last 46 minutes. And that's cool. You know, I think it's very interesting and it's a nice choice. And I definitely enjoyed the aspect of the finale in that there's a ton of showing and no telling. You know, the entire finale was almost all nonverbal. And so it was just the actor, the images, and, you know, the camera.
0: Whoever's listening, it's worth watching this pilot just to just to experience that last scene. Yeah,
1: and then go go from there as you will.
0: Which will transition perfectly into the moment before the moment we've all been waiting for. And so, Drew, this is where we are going to decide whether this show is worth watching or re-watching. And so, for us, this is going to be, are we going to watch this series?
1: Well, here's the interesting thing, Jimbo. We recorded this almost three weeks ago. Uh, at the time, Jimbo, I said I was going to watch it on a weekly basis. I have watched zero episodes since then. Um, potty training is hell. But to be fair, I've watched like Thor, Ragnarok, and Black Panther like twice each in the same amount of time when I could have watched Castle Rock. So it tells you exactly. where my priorities are.
0: So I said I wasn't going to watch this and I'm still not. Although I really do love that last scene, just don't care. I, I can reference Honest John did continue watching this show. Oh, what did he think? He says he says it's all downhill from the pilot, and I think uh. he gave up after episode four.
1: Oh, good on you, honest John, for sticking with it. The only thing I'll say about Watcher rewatch is talking about it just now has made me maybe kind of hyped give up. you
0: back up. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I I would say I may be interested in just looking up my the answer to my intriguing questions. <laughs>
1: That's the internet age now, man. You know, you're like. Watch the first 10 minutes of Citizen Kane, and then it's like Google on your phone and be like, what the <laughs> fuck's Rosebud? Oh, that's no, it's a slut. Okay. Spoiler.
0: Now, hoisters, the moment we've all been waiting for. To hoist or not to hoist, that is the question. So is the pilot episode Severance for Castle Rock going to be hoisted or not, Drew? What's it going to be?
1: I'm still not hoisting, because my low point was just an editorial decision and something that I think is annoying, but it's not a huge glaring problem. And the more we talk about the high points, the more I kind of just, there's an aspect in the literary analysis I can't wait to get into, but I think there were subtle choices that the show decided to make. Then I want to reward it. I'm going to not hoist it. And Jimbo, you know, there's a chance that I might watch another episode of Castle Rock before you watch another episode of Mary with Children. I could, you know, I might be down to take that bet. You're on, sir. All right, so Jimbo, hoist or not hoist?
0: I'm not hoisting. That last scene definitely saves it. If it wasn't for that last scene, I would have been leaning a lot more towards a hoist. But no, this this is a good pilot. This is a good pilot.
1: I agree. It does the
0: things a pilot should. All right, hoisters. Well, that's, that's part one. And now for part two. We're going to spoil everything in this section.
1: We will spoil everything in this section. That's true. <laughs> yeah, so in part two, we're going to do some filmic analysis and interpretation.
0: Before we jump into some, some really specific literary analysis, we are going to give our Crab Man. And since we're over-explaining at this point, the Crab Man is a character that does a lot with very little screen time. Typically, some type of intellectual being. So,
1: Crab X, Crab Bureaucrat, Crab Man, Crab Woman. My Crab Man is, I think, going to be a pretty popular Crab Man amongst our crew tonight. Um, Locke. John Locke himself. Terry O'Quinn is the uh, the warden of Shawshank Prison when the show opens. And on his very last day, he decides to kill himself in a gruesome manner. And the show does a really cool job of setting up how strange this suicide is. And Terry O'Quinn, in his typical stoic acting style, gives away nothing until the last second. So I thought that was a huge contribution from a part of the show that probably lasted like I would say less than three minutes, what do you think
0: he does make a very short comeback in a in a flashback scene at the end, but he is doing a ton his presence is is a little more than than I would typically like from my crabman, but because he's doing so much i mean he's doing pretty much all the heavy lifting for the first half of the show, and then he just makes a a huge contribution towards the very end, which we can actually talk about now. He is very much aware of the kid. And so he tells the kid to ask for Henry Deaver. So I mean, this is this is huge at like connecting those two events in this pilot episode. So he's super crab man.
1: Yeah, that's such a cool part to come back to. That's That plus another part of the scene is what really turns it into that show, going from an intriguing pilot to... Now you have to go back and rethink everything that you had assumed.
0: And since we're in the uh, inter- interpretation part, we, we can kind of talk about those intriguing questions. We have questions about Hen- Henry Deaver that aren't answered in the pilot. And then when Henry Deaver is referenced by the warden, we kind of know that the warden and this kid are all connected to what happened to Henry Deaver when he was a child. And I think that's that's the most compelling part about the future of this series. I understand. I just feel like I've been
1: burned by so many TV mysteries. Oh, yeah. It's so hard to get hyped. Falling for that trick before. Yeah, like, what's the mystery? What's gonna happen now? But you're right, like, they still pull it off to good effect, and the show, I think, yeah, it does leave enough breadcrumbs on the trail for you to follow for the mystery to be intriguing, because, like, you want it to be, like, attainable, yet still, like, mysterious, so... I don't know, did Honest John talk about, like...
0: I didn't ask him about it.
1: But I'm, no, I'm with you. You know, like the actual mysteries, the actual questions, because when it does do the flashback.
0: Hoysters, by unanimous decision, John Locke is going home with the crabman. This is what I'm just curious about. I don't care to watch, but I'm just more curious, is where is the kid from? And does that connect to some maybe fantastical world that Stephen King has built?
1: The The mystery of the boy and of Henry Deaver was nicely played. Because I think one of the coolest things it did was it took a thread and it took the meat of what could be a mystery and made it the right size. Like some mysteries are too big and they go over the place. Like X-Files is not my type of mystery. You know? Um Veronica Mars actually I think is like one of the perfect ones because they had like a one-season mystery solved. It's a really cool pilot, a really cool show. Um so I think if it were like that model, and if I knew that we were gonna find out the answer to that question by the end of episode 10. I think I might be more invested.
0: If I was writing this series, you would find out in episode two. I know if you were, but I don't know. It might do a (laughs) Stranger
1: Things type thing and just like wrap up one story to open up a bigger mystery. I don't, I wouldn't like that.
0: No, me either. But what do you think? Is there, is there any chance that he's a gunslinger? Uh, Henry? No, the kid. Oh, the kid. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about is, is a kid from some other world that Stephen King has created. Oh. that was a speculation that that i I had read from someone else on Reddit when I was looking for Easter eggs during the pilot. I hadn't considered it,
1: but I will say this the gunslinger Dark Tower part of Stephen King's like Ubra is my least favorite Stephen King
0: I mean that's fine, yeah,
1: well, I'm just saying I don't know the I don't know the mythology
0: I don't know if it's considered fantasy or not, mm. but I think there's weird stuff that goes on with it i i I read a couple of the graphic novels that weren't written by Stephen King. I tried to read the first book. I, I just could not get into it. I
1: tried to read the first book twice. It was, it's not very really good.
0: It's bad. It's bad. Yeah. That's not on Tardar. No. 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 <laughs> for, for fans, not necessarily me, cause I really don't give a shit. But it would be cool if like the kid was from some other Stephen King world and they're combining two Stephen King worlds.
1: I wish it were the eyes of the
0: dragon world because that's a cool Stephen King book that's underrated. So that was mine. And then, but, and since we kind of talked about it, grounding the world. Yeah, go ahead. Would you like to add to that? Because, because I think you're right. The stuff that they, the stuff that they referenced with Shawshank Redemption does really ground the, the place Mm -hmm. until we find out kind of the mystery of, of the kid. I think we, we are safe to say that we are in the same world that the movie Shawshank Redemption takes place in.
1: Yeah, I think that there's, like, a very interesting, like, thread of both fantastic connections between Stephen King works, but also really subtle ones, um, too. And some of the more subtle ones were definitely on display, but I, I definitely caught the bullet holes.
0: Yeah, the bullet hole was one.
1: Yep, that was the—to I to me, that was the most overt reference to another work. I think that the creepier connection is the less fantastical one, and that is what— this show has, like, kind of strived for. From my literary analysis, what I really, really dug on, um, especially in, like, as quiet of a, a, a pilot as this one, like, not dialogue heavy, was the scene where Henry gets home, meets his dementia-ridden mother, and then finds out that the detective who discovered him as a boy is, like, living with his mother because, you know, Henry's father died trying to rescue him in mysterious circumstances when he was a child. There is so much interplay and, like, so many unspoken things about that family dynamic in a small town between, like, you know, a black son and, like, a adoptive white mother. That that scene itself, I, like, the tension was palpable between the two actors while the mother was in the other room. I thought it was
0: great. Henry's going to have to start opening up and letting us know what the hell happened to him. And the sheriff's involved, his mom's involved. The warden and the kid are definitely involved, so I think all that is definitely gonna gonna go into the rest of the series.
1: Do you think Henry's dad is gonna end up being a good guy or a bad guy? Because my instinct was bad guy.
0: I don't see why he's gonna be a bad guy, but you never know.
1: I mean, he's part of the, he's part of the mystery, and they find him with his back broken in the ice. It's mysterious circumstances. I tend to ruin stories for myself. Like if I know it's a mystery. I like want to guess based on conventions of the story that I understand as opposed to just like enjoying the ride.
0: I guess, I guess if his dad was, was a bad guy, it would make more sense why he's isolated himself from his hometown. But I mean, there's so much, there's so many reasons for him to isolate himself. I mean, the town does consider him the killer of his father. That's, that's huge. Maybe he did kill his father. Maybe he killed his father because his father was a piece of shit.
1: the other aspect I enjoy is, like, Stephen King does such a good job of, like, shedding light on the bigotry and racism of, like, New England. Because people want to think, like, that, like, Vermont and, you know, these other places are, like, bastions of acceptance and... Yeah, these liberals. Yeah, they're not. Like, there's a lot of, like, racial intolerance not too far below the surface in, like, a lot of those places. And so Stephen King has, throughout a lot of his works, like, really shown the villains and made people, like, uncomfortable by, like using either subtle or not so subtle uh racial language to like, you know, kind of reveal that side of like the idyllic New England town. Uh anything else in the plot or literary analysis?
0: Listeners, if you are interested in this, you're gonna just have to watch the series.
1: Yeah. And let us know. Alright, so we are now in the put it anywhere guys quest for the best section.
0: This will be episode forty. We originally it was originally supposed to be episode thirty eight, but it- Things didn't quite work out that way.
1: Peeking behind the curtain. So we're going to rank all 40 of the pilots that we've watched. And eventually we will rank all pilots of all time. And we will insert this pilot into our pre-existing list. Uh, Right now, the best pilot of all time, as determined by this pilot's based podcast, is The End of the Effing World on Netflix. Go watch it.
0: And the worst pilot is Drew's fave, Buffy.
1: Yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I, I made Jimbo watch parts one and two. I'll never get that time back. You're right. We now have a rule. We can no longer watch a, a two part pilot. So thanks, thanks Joss Whedon.
0: So originally we had we had discussed this show being around Lost. Mm-hmm. Mo very much wanted it below Lost. Uh, Mo wanted it below Boy Meets World. But Mo runs with her with with her no bow out, and Mo's not here. I kind of want to put it above Lost. I'm I'm more thinking is it above or below Cobra Kai.
1: Yeah, Cobra Kai and Castle Rock are kind of weirdly analogous because they're both, you know, nostalgia boner bait. Yes. They're both extending a universe. It just depends on, like, what type of person you are. Do you want to laugh and enjoy that universe, or you want to get freaked out by it? I would say that top to bottom, the acting of Castle Rock is better than Cobra Kai.
0: I mean, there's obviously the Castle Rock is dealing with a way bigger budget. I mean, you have J.J. Abrams directing...
1: None of those none of those things make Daniel Larusso a better actor.
0: The, I I don't disagree with what you said. I, I'm just saying what the one thing that Castle Rock has over
1: Cobra Kai is more money. I was gonna say I was like the problem like they can't they can't hire with more money better actors than Cobra Kai because they got to use those
0: original people. Cobra Kai did a great job of of making a good pilot with what they had to work with. Yep, agreed. There's really no comparison. You have J.J. J. Abrams doing the show. He's not going to do a show on YouTube money. That's. I guess that's the point I was trying to make. Um, Alias Grace. Talk to me about Alias Grace. I would rather watch the second episode of Alias Grace than the second episode of Castle Rock. So for me, that's why I think it goes below Alias Grace. I can agree and with I that. Think, and I think the themes in Alias Grace are better as well.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Surprisingly, they're both prison shows.
1: You're right, and also, man, that uh, that ship scene, Alias Grace,
0: and and I and I just love Grace. I don't love Henry Dever. I might love the kid, but probably not. The kid is so weird. He is very weird, but he he might be a cool character. I just don't care to find out. He's probably not. He's probably just a creep. <laughs> probably. So, do we feel good putting it in at the new number twenty? Yes, above Cobra Kai, below Al- Alias
1: Grace. The new number twenty, once again pushing. Married with Children, further and further to the bottom.
0: Bullshit. We're gonna come back to that. We have not heard the last of Married with Children. Man, I'm gonna make you watch it again. I'm gonna make you watch more than one episode, Jimbo. Okay, I'm. You know, I'm gonna watch one this week. <laughs> Can't wait to talk to you next Tuesday. Hoisters, <laughs> I've said that before. <laughs> Tune in next week to find out if Jimbo watches episode two of Married with Children. I'm gonna watch it tonight, man. Out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> this 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 quest for the best and worst is getting long. I know. Imagine, dude, if we if we do this show for three years, we're gonna have like 150 pilots on this list. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to place a show we just watched on the list of 150? We'll have to hire some interns, unpaid interns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unpaid for sure. Everyone involved in this show is unpaid.
1: So, welcome to part three. This is the part of the show where we go just outside the pilot. But it relates to themes of the show or the series or just things that kind of sparked our interest while we were watching. And now, coming down to the stage, the Stormy Daniels Dangling Threads of Interest. Where we will take these little dangling threads, things that we thought about, and kind of talk them through. And Jimbo, what I wanted to bring up was, I thought was particularly interesting, was how the show kind of characterized Shawshank State Prison as a for-profit prison. So I did a little research and found some information about for-profit prisons. Even though they're talked about quite a bit, these private prisons make up a relatively small portion of the prison population. About 7% of state prisoners and 18% of federal prisoners are in for-profit prisons.
0: That's a decent amount, though.
1: You're right. The The federal number is much higher. The state number, I think, is still relatively low based on how concerned people are. But
0: in most, I think most prisons are state prisons, right?
1: Yes, the state prison population far outstrips the um, federal one.
0: I do remember learning about private prisons. I don't remember if it was in a college class or just on my own personal interest. I had the feeling like that they were more prevalent for some reason. So that's that's cool. Maybe some of them have gone out of business or something. I doubt that, but it's pretty it's pretty good business.
1: Yeah, I would say that according to this study as well. Um, if you combine those populations of both private and public or private uh state and federal facilities. It makes up one hundred and fifty thousand inmates, which out of the total prison population is between roughly eight to ten percent. So you have like a one in ten shot of being in a uh private prison.
0: I w you know, this this would be interesting in Hoysters, if any of you know, please chime in. Is the quality of life better in a for profit prison or one of the government prisons?
1: That would be interesting. Um yeah. it I did find this Although correlation is hard to find, the for-profit prisons are kind of being paid regardless of whether they fill up. So a for-profit prison is paid for by the bed, not by the prisoner. And so some critics, uh, you know, are accusing these prisons of incentivizing the states to send more people to these prisons so that they're getting their money's worth. What do you think about that?
0: I'm not surprised about that. I mean, it's, that's the problem with running a thing like correctional facilities for a profit is you don't want people in prison. And so the fact that you're incentivizing people to have more people in prison is just never a good idea.
1: Uh, The numbers just keep going. Like, the United States is 5% of the entire world's population. However, within the United States, we have 25% of the world's prison population.
0: That's just ridiculous.
1: Approximately 1 in 100 adults in America... Uh, were incarcerated in the year 2014. And of those incarcerated adults, 86% of prisoners were locked up for nonviolent crimes that were mostly drug related. War on drugs. Ugh. This one gets even crazier too. Like, uh, the, I think part of the, um, private prison, bo- like, story that doesn't get brought up as much is the exploitation of, uh, the prisoners themselves. Like, some prisoners are only paid. Um, as little as 74 cents a day. And there's quite a few very public companies that, you know, profit from them, like Whole Foods, for example. You know, they have fair trade chocolate bananas, but, um, the tilapia that you buy there, uh, <laughs> comes from prisoners in Colorado. Uh, the fancy goat cheese you buy there is also raised and milked by prisoners. McDonald's, uh, has inmates who sew McDonald's, uh, uniforms that the employees wear and Walmart purchases its produce from, uh, employee or from prison farms
0: what's your what's your philosophy on prisoners working because i'm all for prisoners working i'm all for prisoners
1: working it's just um you know there's an obscure part of the 13th amendment that allows for prisoners to be paid substandard wages and so you know if you don't want to give people in prison minimum wage i understand that they're being punished while still trying to be rehabilitated but 74 cents a day extremely low like it seems like you're insulting them
0: i'd have to look into that but i'm i feel really confident
1: that it's voluntary i believe so i need to jump into the research
0: yeah i mean like if if i trust the government to do the right thing i i would be okay with the prisoners working for free do you trust the government to do the right thing no 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 i don't yeah so i mean that's that's kind of where i'm at too (laughs) i was like
1: no (laughs) Jimbo, what southern state has female inmates sewing Victoria's Secret garments?
0: Which southern state doesn't, Drew?
1: We definitely know that South Carolina does. Yeah. (laughs) And actually, two female inmates in the 1990s got in trouble because they were telling journalists that they were just tearing the Made in Honduras tag out and sewing Made in USA tags in.
0: Nice. That's classy, man. Now, were they actually doing that or were they just telling the journalists that? That's the real question. (laughs) We may never know. We'll we'll never know. Well, you know, way way to make a you know turn turn prisons into laughing matter. Good for us.
1: Um, what else, Jimbo? What was dangling for you? Just like I just found just some really interesting information about like that. Like God, like it sounds really shitty.
0: Baby Nomalous was not as cooperative on my research for this one, but I I mean I feel like prisoners only getting paid seventy four cents a day is not the worst thing going on in our country. I'll just end on that note. I
1: did some additional
0: research, though, Jimbo.
1: What do you think about um, voting rights for prisoners? Because what I found was there there's quite a few states that have that do not restrict voting rights at all for incarcerated people, but there is there are still seven states that revoke that right completely.
0: I'm surprised. I thought it would be more than that.
1: There's there's quite a bit of like wiggle room. Um, the the categories I saw were lost only while incarcerated lost until completion of sentence, which included parole or probation with automatic restoration after. And then there's another category that was lost until completion of sentence in some states, a post-sentencing waiting period with additional action required for restoration. Jimbo, where do you think the majority of states that did not give uh, you know, voting rights back or made people do stuff for them were? Oh, the South, man. It is totally the South. South
0: Carolina. Yeah. Goddamn, dude. Come on, the South. I think that is really messed up. I, I mean, if you... If you serve your time and you're so-called rehabilitated, you should get the right to vote, man. I don't see why you lose your voice. I can see losing your voice while you're in prison. I wouldn't lose any sleep about that. If I ruled the world, I would probably still let them vote, even in prison.
1: Uh, There are two states where prisoners have the right to vote even while incarcerated. Do you know what they are?
0: I'm going to go with California and Oregon.
1: Uh, Uh, You're geographically on the opposite side. It's Maine and Vermont. Really?
0: Oh, yeah, okay. They only imprison white people there. That's probably why. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice.
1: uh Shrek Breath says we've become a de facto race podcast, and I'm like Shrek Breath. Maybe you're getting, maybe you're learning that everything's a little bit about race.
0: Yeah, we live in America. This is America. Childish game, me know. Yep. Yeah. So, so what's your stance, man? Because, you didn't really give yours. I mean, uh, most listeners
1: know my stance just liberal as shit. So, so you would give everyone the right to vote? Yes, I would. Uh, mostly just because you know, as a democracy, our our voting our voting uh percentages and people choose to vote is shockingly low. So I don't think we should be disenfranchising any groups or population. And yeah, like if the point of prison is to rehabilitate, you know, because we go out of our way in the constitution to, you know, outlaw cruel and unusual punishment. So the punishment part of prison is being removed from society and then theoretically we want you to come back to society rehabilitated then I think we need to incentivize that return. Um, Another part of my research found 76% of offenders, you know, are suffering from recidivism, which means, you know, committing crimes and going back to prison. Yes. Like, I think that we should do everything humanly possible to reintegrate prisoners into society so that, you know, 76% of our incarcerated population weren't previously incarcerated.
0: Definitely. That's, and I think that's the greatest tragedy in this story. I mean, not, not, um, Castle Rock, but like what we're talking about. And I think Shawshank Redemption does a perfect job of, of capturing this, where you have someone that's not really a criminal going to prison and then coming out worse than when they went in. That's one of the worst things that you can do to someone, especially young people that make a mistake or whatever the reason. You have young people that are involved in drugs. They're not terrible people yet. And then you put them in a prison system that's full of people that have been in and out their whole life. And, you know, like, look at their new peers and look who they're learning from. And then it's a system that calls it rehabilitation.
1: And that's not even to mention the fact that, like, the vast majority of people in prison are people of color. The percentage of black males in this country who are of adult age are between 7 and 9%, whereas they represent more than one-third of the prison population. And, like, I just, I, I mean, it boggles the mind when people don't believe evidence and like you know privilege and inequalities of race like it's numeric you know like i can't i can't have like i don't understand someone understanding that statistic of the overrepresentation while still not believing that there's a like racial prejudice within our justice system
0: well i could break it down a little bit for you i and i don't think this covers all of it but i think if you were to isolate the chances of going to prison if you grow up in to like a single mother I think it drastically shoots up. Now, unfortunately, black kids are more likely to grow up without a, a mother and father at home. So I think like that, like that that accounts for some of those, but that's also the result of systemic racism.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, I was like, there's a lot of systemic racism um within like the American family in terms of like white families, black families, like how big the family is and how nuclear the family is as well, you know, in terms of like what is the net worth of a family, and then how does that affect it as well? I think that, yes, there are socioeconomic ties that definitely affect, you know, the composition of the prison population, but I would even say that, like, those socioeconomic circumstances are still rooted in a system of, you know, systemic racism.
0: I agree with that. I'll defend cops, and at least to the fact that I don't think there's that many cops that are intentionally harassing black people for racist reasons. I think it's more subconscious and I think it is more of kind of being stuck in the cycle of poverty and single family, you know, like let's say your father goes to prison and now all of a sudden you're growing up with a single mother and however many kids, you're drastically more likely to go to prison and then your kids being in the same exact situation. So I think a lot of it is kind of a cyclical nature as well. You know, you can definitely defend cops.
1: I mean, that's a really tough job. But I mean, if you want to look at like the prison population, I don't necessarily think that the issue is solely cops or is like the majority of it is put on cops. I think that judges and, no, for sure. you know, politicians that have pushed through mandatory minimum sentencing exactly. for nonviolent crimes where, you know, you will go to jail longer for like some weed crimes than for rape are much more culpable and guilty um, than necessarily a cop who probably has implicit bias.
0: Well, we all have, you know, we all have some...
1: Exactly. Then a judge who, people people attract these judges who, you know, give longer sentences to, like, black people. Like, that's actually, like, something they've studied where they looked at, like, the exact same crime across racial lines, and on average, black men have been sentenced for longer than white men.
0: Or being tried as an adult when you're not. It's true as well. Fun fact, if you are being tried by a judge, you want to be tried early in the morning or right after lunch because judges are more likely to judge harshly the closer they get to their lunch break and the closer they get to the end of the day drastically different Uh, i know gross judges eat a snack in between man yeah man let's
1: get one that's like that makes those snickers commercials so depressing
0: hungry why wait and sentence this person to life yeah snickers jesus Snickers might have just sponsored our next episode for judges. And also judges who don't, you know, sentence, like, black people to longer terms than white people. Can we move on?
1: Yeah, I have a, I have a way less depressing um dangling thread. Okay. Jimbo, what's your favorite piece of Stephen King media?
0: I have not read a lot of Stephen King. I read some of his nonfiction. I read a couple of his books. I'm going to say... The thing that really sticks out to me, besides Shawshank Redemption, which is arguably not—it actually that's just not his. I mean, it's a—it's based off of one of his short stories.
1: Yeah, I, I, you give it to him.
0: I'm gonna suggest some something else though. There's a poem, and I'm—I have to double check, but I'm pretty sure Stephen King wrote this in college. Anyways, it's called The Dark Man, and they made an illustrated version of it, and it is very disturbing, very Stephen Kingish, and it is. A very awesome read. Go to your public library and look for The Dark Man, an illustrated poem, or buy it from Amazon. because I can't find it anywhere online. Yeah, support
1: Stephen King. He needs your money.
0: He only sells millions of books every single year.
1: I think my favorite Stephen King book is, man, Um, Misery is so good, and I think Misery might also be my favorite Stephen King movie.
0: I think that's in my personal petardar. Is that the one with the teacher? It's locked up?
1: Uh, it's the one with the famous author who gets in a car accident, and he gets rescued by a nurse who turns out to be his number one fan.
0: And she like makes him write a book or something, right? Spoilers. So I'm supposed to read this because you have recommended me to read this a couple times. I haven't done it yet. I so like that's... it a lot,
1: but you don't have to read something to
0: tell you to. I will say the thing I loved about eleven twenty two sixty three the most was the very beginning. The character is a substitute teacher or maybe he's a night teacher. But anyways, he's a teacher and he has just an amazing connection with one of his students. And that, and that I think is Stephen King at his finest. Did you read that book?
1: No, it was extremely long.
0: Yeah, it is. You should read the first, let's say 30 pages because that scene that I just told you about is awesome.
1: Stephen King got so famous and so powerful. He just needs an editor. So much, and so badly.
0: I'm going to look for that, and I'll put it in the petardar if I find it. I feel like I wrote about it in one of my blogs before. We should link to that. If I can find it.
1: Anything else? Anything else dangling there, Jimbo? No, I'm good. Very cool. Listeners, we are now jumping into the petardar. The petardar is um, anything that's kind of, like, adjacent to the show, just recommendations and media that we have and i'll go ahead and start things off um the ear hustle podcast is really 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 cool if you want to learn more about prison culture um it is a uh podcast produced in the san quentin prison in san diego california uh with a partnership between a a prisoner and or an inmate and a public radio broadcaster she goes in once a week they record like three different stories that kind of overlap it's a nice anthology And, for example, like, one of the episodes is about Selly's, like, having a roommate in an 8x5 room, and, like, what that's like. Uh, I also want to recommend uh, Oz, the original HBO one. It made me just god-awfully terrified of ever going to prison.
0: And it made Drew tell a not-so-funny joke last week. Maybe he'll tell it again for us. Probably
1: not. I won't. Okay. In addition... I want to recommend The Eyes of the Dragon, which is my second favorite Stephen King book. Uh, it's often overlooked because it's kind of Stephen King's biggest foray into like medieval fantasy. He did well. It was good. Um, go find it. There is a uh, a weird, weird part about a flaccid penis. Comes early in the book.
0: And I might be able to cut back in the really funny conversation about Moe and her flaccid experience. Yeah,
1: cool. We might be able to. Mo wasn't here, but she also wanted to recommend Thirteenth, which is a documentary that discusses that uh prison uh, labor uh, controversy controversy that we discussed, and also it's uh, produced by and directed by Ava DuVernay. It's good. I've also
0: seen it. What do you got on your guitar, Jimbo? We've kind of talked about this, but Shawshank Redemption needs to be in there. If you haven't seen that yet, I would recommend that. And then I asked my cousin who was a Prison guard at San Quentin, and and he said that a a really good representation of both prison life for the prisoners and for the guards is America Me, and it has the actor from Stand and Deliver, Edward James Almos? He's fantastic. That's it. I think I think we're good on Petardar.
1: In Petard trivia news, I was able to unseat Honest John from his dishonest place on the throne. He is sending his blink to me in the mail. He promised. You know, Honest John, it's okay. You know, take that out.
0: It was an intense battle. It came down to the tiebreaker question not resulting in a winner. And so Mo made up a question on the spot. I leapt in there, man. That's the way the cookie crumbled. No, that's the way the the home destroys the door. Unfortunately, Hoisters, before you listen to this, Drew has already lost his title two weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to jacob williams of the punisher body count so we're gonna come for you mr williams our official intro and outro music was mixed by jake drew you can find a link to him on in the show notes and he will make beats for you and he can mix other music for you he is a talented musician and very talented rapper
1: uh you can follow us on twitter at pilots and petards you can follow us on instagram it gets every now and then. Uh, you can also join our Facebook group, which is getting revamped. You know, we're we're jumping back into Facebook, trying to like breathe some life into it. And as always, you can go to our website, PilotsOfBetards.com. We've also joined the But Why Though uh, podcast network. So you can go to their website, learn a little bit about some pop culture podcast stuff. And um, I'm also writing a couple uh, movie reviews, which I have not been able to do in the last like, two weeks potty training and the beginning of the school year. Life's uh, intense, Jimbo. Anything else to plug?
0: I think that's good. And so hoisters um you can't tell by the plugs the show is officially over but if you love us as much as we love us you should have been listening to the last hour-ish and as always we would like to collaborate with any artists out there if you make visual art holla we would love some visual art for our blog and we will cross promote you if you make music we would love some you know some transition music or some closing music and we will cross promote you as well and if you're listening to us and you would think and you have a microphone and you might be a good guest, holla. We are also interested in getting some, some guests on the show. Anything else, Drew? Oh, no, man. I'm, I'm down for some shop talk. All right. So now we'll we'll transition into Sh- Shrek Breath's favorite part of the show: the shop, our talk. shop talk.
1: Dude, fucking daycare tried to screw us. It was
0: bad, man. Have you lost respect for uh, the old ladies yet? mm no, it's not the old ladies, man. Yeah, I I had that feeling. It wasn't. You know, they wouldn't do it.
1: Yeah, we're we're diaperless, man. We've been diaperless for twelve days, and then the school's like, "Hey, like two accidents. We're putting her back in diapers. You can't put a potty training kid back in diapers. That's just like it's like punching your soul with like a glass fist full of Tabasco sauce. It's the worst. And so this lady was like mean to Tori. Like, we didn't really like her attitude. And then, like, I had to come in and talk to everybody. And in between talking to the lady who was rude to Tori, like, freaking the admin turns to me. And she's like, you know, we can't go into the classrooms and tell the teachers how to teach. And, like, my brain just exploded because I'm like, yes, you
0: fucking can.
1: (laughs) That's what principals do. Like, there's best practices and shit. And, like, that was so, like demoralizing for me because like it's it's fucking august like we can't go anywhere like everywhere else is filled we got to deal with this this year and like try and figure it out so we got some concessions they got the diapers which are now only referred to as training undies. Pants. yeah oh school pants that's a good one i like that school pants emma who likes to watch her dolls and her dinosaurs and her monkey sit on the potty and then i like pour the cup of water behind and We, like, you know, poured in and flushed and everything. She frickin' pulled the bear off, went to sit on the potty, and I was like, here, let me help you with your undies. She sat and peed. Like, go, Emma. She's
0: almost there, man. She's almost there.
1: We're several months away, but we're getting there. one step away, dude. It's a good feeling, dude. It's, like, the very first time, like, she got, like, it was a journey, man. Emma got addicted to iPad because we were playing the iPad to keep her on the potty. And then she was just, like, sitting on the potty for 20 minutes, like, Just watching shows, and we're like, shit, she's addicted to iPads. We took that away. That was hard. (laughs) So, but uh, it's it's ups and downs, man. It's hills and valleys. A lot of valleys. Dude, potty training is a scam in America. Everywhere else in the world, kids are potty trained between 12 and 16 months. Fucking in 1957, 92% of American kids were potty trained by 18 months. Do you know what the average is now?
0: No, I don't.
1: Thirty five months for a girl, thirty nine months for a boy.
0: I bet that has to do with the diaper industry, man.
1: Well, guess what happened uh, in nineteen fifty nine? They started making disposable diapers. Huggies, the first Huggies come off the line.
0: You have the military industrial complex. You have the prison industrial complex. Diaper industrial complex, man. We need to. We need to fight this. Shit's real. And like they called,
1: they talked to my wife, and they were just like they are telling Tori, they're like, well.
0: I did some research and you're right. A lot of other countries, you know, do it. But we're in American schools is the American culture.
1: I'm like, fuck you. The metric system rules. The rest of the world knows how to count and raise children, at least telling them how to pee in the potty. Thanks, Jimbo. Shop talk kind of became rant time. If there, if there are some parents of some young children listening to the podcast, I think there's a lot of nodding going on, a lot of heavy nodding.
0: Yeah, so Fitz, Shrek Breck feel feel free to jump in on your potty training experiences. Yeah,
1: other listeners, get in there, man.
0: Hey, if you have if you have a 4-year-old and they're still wearing diapers and, and you want to defend yourself, hop on the website.
1: Hop on or or go to Europe and fix that. <laughs> and by the way, like if you are if your child is young between 14 and 18 months and you want to potty train them, don't listen to people who are saying well, what about the signs. We don't wait for a kid to walk up to us with a pencil to teach them to write there's a certain age where you're like hey it's time to learn how to write and you do that so like instead of like watching for the signs and having your kid say when they're ready to go pee why don't you teach them how to pee like you're teaching them how to do everything else just do it it's more work but it's worth it this was a good episode we were tight
0: did i mention feedback give, give us feedback you know we're uh, we are tweaking the show i'm going to add some some little ukulele rips in in between the parts so if you want to contribute to those, you know, I can toss in some, some nice little riffs. I like that. Call for the plugs. I'm also starting to experience, uh, I, w- I was listening to something today, The Hidden Brain, and it was talking about marriage. And it, in one section, it was talking, of it, uh, the, the episode was called, Why is Marriage So Hard? Or something along those lines. But it said how having a kid is like an additional 35 hours a week of work. That feels real. It feels true. If you're single and you're thinking about getting married and having a kid, you need to consider where that 35 hours is going to come from because most people, a heavy dose of that comes from their normal sleep time. Oh, and also your free time, your personal time. And your free... Yeah, of course. The other part, yeah. So you're you're losing sleep and you're losing whatever you used to do. Losing that Drew time. I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to give a shout out to Mrs. Nomalous because... I'm not contributing 35 hours a week. So that's, that's a big, a big shout out to her. That's not going to maintain for very long because she's going to be going back to work in a couple weeks. So I'm going to definitely feel that 35 hours when she goes back to work.
1: You go, you go have your Jimbo time.
0: Hoisters, if the quality of this podcast drastically takes a shit in about two weeks, you'll know why. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, Jimbo, I'm good. Are you good? I'm good. Every day we hoistlin'.
1: Jimbo out. Every day we hoistlin'. Drew out.